It's a tax take record. A titanic tax take of 108 billion bucks, the largest New Zealanders have ever paid. And a $10 billion deficit is half what was expected. So, time for a tax cut bonanza? Not so fast, says the government. Now's not the time to um, fritter that away on tax cuts, particularly the kind that would favour the highest earners. Go for it, says National. What we see here is a government that's awash with cash and income revenue and tax revenue, but yet it still can't find room to give tax relief to everyday New Zealanders. But here's a lesson in what not to do with tax cuts. In order to combat the cost of living crisis that will force millions of hardworking families into poverty, the Tories have decided that we need tax cuts for the most wealthy and tighter rules on benefits for the poor. And we all know what happened next. The new Tory leadership scrapped this hugely controversial 45p top tax rate plan. Well, they brought it in, and then a few days later, it was gone. Back here, National's got its own plan to scrap the top tax rate. Will National abolish the top tax rate? We have committed to doing that in our first term, Guyon. Do you think New Zealanders want to see tax cuts for the wealthy at this time, given the pressures on low-income earners with inflation? Yeah, and what I'd say to you, Corinne... Trust is backed away from hers. Bit awkward. What do you think of that? Well, look, I mean, in the UK, you've got a very different situation. You've had massive... But what makes it different to the Tories' tax disaster? I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, tax cuts are always a big play ahead of an election, and we've got a year to go. If the current tax rules aren't fair... Why hasn't the government changed them? Well, I'll be talking to Janae Tibshraney from The Herald about that. But first, I'm with tax expert Terry Boucher in his Takapuna office to compare and contrast the tax plans of National and the Tories. So they have the same motive, which is to address this cost of living crisis? National's tax cuts at the lower end, or rather adjustments at the lower end, would help in in that to that effect and so would uh, the British cuts but the cuts are weighted towards the top end and the people who are in real trouble with cost of living are the lower and middle income earners so and to say that they they would help a cost of living crisis is only partly correct mm-hmm. in my view um, there is no doubt that yes tax cuts will relieve people they would give somebody put some extra money in the pockets but if you're not earning very much like in britain for example you you the tax cut there was one percentage point well that's 200 pounds a year in mm. some cases that's not really going to four pounds a week that's going to be doing nothing when your energy bills have gone up by 10 times that as, as some of the reports i'm seeing are absolutely astronomical and similar here so the, a strategy of tax cuts is um, you have to look at who benefits from there and then is that going to achieve the effect you want, which is if you are wanting to help people with the cost of living crisis payments, are tax cuts which benefit the wealthier um, actually appropriate? Shall we look a little bit closer at what nationals 
tax policy is. The primary commitment we have made is to tax bracket adjustment to correct for the corrosive impact of inflation. This phrase to index tax thresholds to inflation. What, what does that actually mean? Well, every year, prices rise. Yeah, and so that's what, inflation. And wages also tend to rise as well. Now, if everything is constant, thresholds for at which ta- you cross a threshold for tax, your tax rate increases. So if you are indexing for inflation, you are keeping the tax rates or thresholds in line with inflation. So wages move in in sync. If you do not increase thresholds, then wages rise ahead of the thresholds. And what happens, and this is a particular problem at the lower end, you cross a threshold and your tax rate goes up. So the extra tax, what we call the marginal rate of tax on your next dollar increases. Yeah. So shall we give an example here? Because... There's that tax belt that ends at 48,000, where you're paying what percentage of tax there? This is the threshold where I think we've got real issues around that. When it was set back in 2010, it was above the average and median wages. Now it's well below. Now what happens is that income up to between $14,000 and $48,000 is taxed at 17.5%. Once you cross the, th- the 48000 then the income above that threshold is taxed at 30%. It's the biggest single jump in the tax thresholds. The 48000 threshold is where a lot of pain is happening because that's where most of our low-income earners are, mm. and they face a high jump in, in their tax rates. And it means that every dollar above the 48000 the earner is paying that higher rate. 30%. 30%. So that's what we call the effective marginal tax rate. But it actually gets worse for people in that group because many of those people might be receiving working for families, which is a tax credit. But that tax credit is clawed back above a certain threshold. The threshold is another threshold that hasn't been indexed properly since um, 2010, um, it's been adjusted a few times, but is now set at 42700 What that means is that so if you're earning above, say, $50,000, then you're, you've got $2,000, the last $2,000 of income is being taxed at 30%. But if you're receiving working for families, then that's being clawed back at a rate of $0.27 cents per, per dollar. So every dollar of working for families you get, the government will then take back $0.27. Cents. And by the way, that often comes up as an end-of-year tax bill, which is a big surprise for a lot of people. Mm. So that means that for those people, we say their effective marginal rate is 57%, i.e. 30%, 30%, and then 27% um, clawback on top of that. This group of people have the highest effective marginal tax rates in the country. And they're supposedly the ones who are suffering most from this cost of living Yes, they're the ones feeling the squeeze the low-income earners. So something clearly needs to be done there. Yes. But what National wants to do, is that going to solve that? It's not going to solve it. It would help. But they are only adjusting the thresholds for um, since 2017. OK, let's pause there and look at those tax thresholds. Right now, each dollar you earn up to $14,000 is taxed at 10.5%. 
and then each dollar you earn between $14,000 and $48,000 is taxed at 17.5%. They're your tax brackets. The next bracket is $48,000 to $70,000 taxed at 30%. After that, earnings between $70,000 and $180,000 are taxed at 33%. Then each dollar earned above $180,000 is taxed at 39%. Here's Chris Luxon explaining National's plan to lift almost all the brackets by just over 11.5% to match the rise in the cost of living over the last four years. The change would mean that the 10.5% tax rate would apply to the first $15,600 of income not $14,000 as it is currently. The 17.5% tax rate would extend to $53,500 rather than $48,000 as it is currently. And rather than the 33% tax rate kicking in at $70,000, which is less than the average wage in New Zealand, it would increase to $78,100. And the top tax bracket, 39%, would be scrapped. But as Terry Boucher points out, National's inflation adjustment only goes from 2017. He reckons to do it properly, National should use 2010 as a baseline for inflation adjustment because that's the last time the thresholds were changed. That would lift the tax brackets by much more and mean the lowest earners would be paying the lowest rate of 10.5% right up to $17,400. And that $48,000 threshold we're talking about would be nearer $60,000. It would be over $59,500. So you'd be paying that 17% right up until 60,000. Near 60,000, 60, yeah. which is in line with where we think median and average wages are right now. So adjusting for inflation would help if you were really doing it, but um, it's expensive to do, and both parties have been guilty of this. This has been a deliberate tactic by both under the John Key administration and currently going on under uh, Jacinda Ardern's administration. Thresholds have never been indexed properly. It's been a quiet way of what we call fiscal drag, of increasing the tax take because of the, the, the effect I described earlier as people cross thresholds. Yeah. And it's brought in a lot of extra money each year. So how much would it cost if, if that was introduced? Billions. Um, billions, yes. Probably about $3 billion, I think, is an estimate. Yeah, that's billions that doesn't go into the, into the public coffers to pay for education, health, Correct. all it, of that kind of thing. Calling it a tax cut, it, it, it would effectively hit the revenue. Calling it a tax cut is slightly a misnomer because in a sense, what we are doing is adjusting for inflation. But it would have the effect of, as you say, reducing the tax take. National also proposes to scrap the new 39% top tax rate. And I think that is one of the areas that people struggle to understand, that you're giving tax cuts to the rich. Yes, and this is, the be- this is where beauty is in, in the eye of the beholder, what end of the spectrum you're coming from. To, to pick up the point I made a few minutes ago, you cut the taxes, that's less money for hospitals, um, education and other services. Um, on the other hand, the theory is those people will know how better to spend that money and they will invest in the, in the economy. I see. And this is where trickle-down 
comes into this play. This is the trickle-down trickle theory. Is there any chance, do you think, uh, Laurie, that there's some sense in this economic theory, this economic approach that she's got, trickle-down economics, I think, Reaganomics, somebody else called it. Yeah, I mean, this is almost Reaganomics taken to a very extreme end. I mean, I think it's been pretty widely debunked that it doesn't work. It's been largely discredited, yes. I mean, there's an, an IMF paper from 2015, which is quite illuminating what it says about that. It says that you really need to be focusing on low and middle income because you want to be avoiding the hollowing out of the middle class, which is a concern that we probably don't see so much here, but certainly it's become a bigger concern in America and in, in, in the UK. A hollowing out of the middle class is um, they're just not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. It's harder and harder to get on the ladder. We, I mean, we can see it here, by the way, in falling home ownership rates. Because mm. we're now back down from a peak of about 72, 73%, I think it was, in 1991. We're now down to uh, under 60%. Which brings us to property and National's plan for the Bright Line test. We'll unwind the government's other taxes, so good things like the fact that interest deductibility for landlords and the Bright Line test, that's added about $40 a week in extra rent to people. So it's important if we're going to lower rents for people that we take that away because that's a big disincentive. That possibly would be more popular to a wider audience than tax cuts dropping the 39% rate. Because one of the things in their proposal is to uh, remove what we call ring fencing. Currently, if you have tax losses from rental and property, they are what we call ring fenced and can only be offset against other property income, rent, rental property income, including sales from Brightline test. Previously, until 2019, you could offset those losses against your other income, uh, which meant that the tax paid by property investors was really low relative to the amount of capital invested in those assets. Basically, that became people's default retirement plan. So uh, that would have a lot of appeal. We know there's approximately 250,000 uh, investors of a residential property investment. So that's a substantial group. And the 10-year Brightline test really does complicate the tax system. You've got to hold it for 10 years. Otherwise, it's going to be taxable. And another group of people for whom rolling back the Brightline test would be popular and beneficial is parents and grandparents helping their children and grandchildren, the Mukapunu, into housing. And then they're running up against the Brightline test. Why? Can you because, explain? Well, if, if they take an interest in it themselves, they actually become co-owners. We'll, we'll buy with you. Mm. Um, then they sell out, that part of the gain becomes taxable for them. Yeah. Or even if they say, well, we'll come in for you and as you get earned more, you can take over more and more of the property from us. Those changes of ownership are taxable points that are happening within 10 years, within the Brightline period. Because this is actually, this Brightline test is actually aimed at the investors who've been flipping houses, basically. Correct. But it captures all these other people who are this. doing it for good reasons so that they can get the next generation into the housing market. One of the unwritten laws of tax is it's full of unintended consequences. And here is one. There's no doubt, I mean, the government didn't want this to do it. It wanted to clamp down on speculation. So it just feels like the way taxes are structured at the moment, it's not fair, is it? It seems like the worker 
pays a big chunk of tax and the higher up you get, you can find ways of getting out of it. The short answer is that no, I don't think our tax system is fair. Two-thirds of all tax collected in New Zealand comes from income tax and GST. So we have the theory in New Zealand of a broad-based low rate, and 33%, which we've had for a long time, does sort of lie in with that theory of a broad-based low rate. Now, at 39%, our top tax rate is relatively low. So you know, we're talking about 45% in the UK, mm. and the standard rate would still be 40%, and Australia has a 45% tax rate. But the thing is, we don't tax capital. And what really happens to people at the high end and high income is increasing proportion of their economic income comes from capital gains, growth in their assets, that extra money they have in savings, that they invest it, and those returns are largely untaxed. Mm. So that's where the iniquity comes in. So what's the Labour government done about fixing these inequities? Here's the New Zealand Herald's Wellington business editor, Janae Tibshraney. I mean, the concept of fairness in and of itself is is a difficult one. You know, what's fair for one person uh, might not be fair for someone else. But when the Labour Party came into government in 2017, it was adamant that we needed to tax capital gains or tax property more to even the playing field uh, between people who earn their income from property versus people who earn their income from going to work and you know earning wages and salaries. So we can all remember how that whole issue went down with the capital gains tax. Uh, Labour had that tax working group. They decided on a capital gains tax that excluded the family home and uh, New Zealand First didn't like it and you know Labour thought that they didn't have a mandate for that type of tax. But then we had COVID come along and uh, the Reserve Bank slashed interest rates that saw property prices take off and, you know, seriously take off. I mean, in, in that two years, 2020 to 2021, uh, the value of New Zealand's housing stock went up by 48% to $1.8 trillion. So I think at that point, maybe there was a bit more appetite uh, for the government to tax property in some shape or form. So in early 2021, it released, it made two new tax changes that uh, targeted property investors because it wanted to level the playing field between them and, you know, make it easier for people to get into the property market. So in in Labor's view, those changes that it made, uh, you know, would create fairness, I guess, in National's view, those uh, changes that target property investors, it would see them as, as unfair. And just going back to what Labour has done with the Brightline test and and the interest deductibility, has that made our taxes fairer? Because as Terry points out, two-thirds of the tax take is made up of GST and income tax. So has that balanced things out at all? I don't know categorically. The, the difficulty is, is that when the IRD collects income tax for the Brightline test, that income tax that it collects from that test is gathered with other income tax people pay. And then the interest limitation rule is still fairly new, so it's difficult to sort of measure the impact of that. But look, it depends on if you believe that property investment is a way of earning income and that should be taxed more than Yes, these changes make it fairer. If you believe property investment shouldn't be taxed, then no, they don't make it fairer. Are you expecting Labour to make any announcements in the lead-up? 
about tax, changes to tax? I definitely wouldn't rule that out. And I think Labor would be really smart to sit back for as long as they can to assess, A, what exactly National is going to take to the election in terms of its tax policy. That's still very much up in the air. And B, uh, assess the economic environment because it's very dynamic just to talk to that economic environment, we saw in May the Treasury released a set of economic forecasts and it thought that we'd be in deficit by $19 billion in the year to June. But as it turned out, we're only in deficit by $10 billion, so about half that. But that just shows how much things change for Treasury's projections to be so wrong in, in such a short space of time. And I think the key uncertainty here is that central banks around the world, including our Reserve Bank, are lifting interest rates very aggressively to try to cool inflation. And the consequence of, of that is that people have, you know, are paying more interest on their mortgages, they have less disposable income, they go eat out less, they spend less. That could cause uh, very slow economic growth, if not recessions around the world. Recessions lead to job losses. Job losses lead to less tax take, less spending, less government revenue. So it takes time for those interest rate hikes to filter through the economy for the full effect to be felt. And I just think because New Zealand is so sensitive to interest rate hikes or cuts for that matter, because we have so much invested in property, we have so much mortgage debt, I think there's a massive question mark over the effect that those aggressive hikes will have. Janae, what about Labor's income insurance scheme? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. So Labor is planning to introduce an income insurance scheme whereby uh, employees and employers pay levies into this new scheme, which would pay out um, in the event of someone losing their job due to illness or due to redundancy. So rather than going to the normal welfare system under this new scheme, you'd get more support um, than you perhaps otherwise would have. And the way this is funded is essentially by a tax. So, you know, it's going to be hard for Labor to go to an election when people are struggling due to inflation and saying to them, look, we have this new scheme, it's going to cost, it's another tax. So I think that if they go to the election with that scheme, which they will, it would make sense for them to offer some respite uh, for people, perhaps in the form of some sort of tax support. Can we afford any kind of tax cut? Governments, you know, can often afford things. It's just a matter of prioritising. So if a government decides to uh, provide tax cuts, does it need to cut spending elsewhere or can it keep spending elsewhere and provide the tax cut? That's a tricky question. To put the numbers in perspective, if the National Party imposed all the tax changes that it has suggested it wants to at some point in time, so that's adjusting those income tax thresholds, removing the bright line, or taking the bright line test back, removing the interest limitation rule, removing the top income tax bracket, removing the Auckland fuel tax. My estimate is that that would cost about $3 billion a year. That's quite a lot of money. In normal times pre-COVID, governments might increase their operating allowance by $3 billion a year. So that cost would take up an entire increased operating allowance. You could say, well, uh, you know, they could just borrow a bit more and and fund that. And yes, that is correct. But if if National wants to stick to its principles of being fiscally prudent and not borrowing more, then it would need to cut spending. 
and you know this has been the debate we've all heard so much of is, is journalists keep asking national well what would you cut spending on and and they haven't been able to detail anywhere near three billion dollars of cuts per year now national might argue look if you cut taxes you put more money in people's pockets which makes people spend more creates growth so on and so on so then the government has a higher tax take but the other key thing that i would think about here is the fact that we have an inflationary environment and when central banks lift interest rates they're effectively trying to remove money from the economy they're trying to slow things down so if a government comes in and tries to put lots more money into the economy as arguably labor has done in the in the last budget then that is problematic and that's what we've seen in the uk with their tax cuts financial markets went what the heck government (laughs) we're trying to cool the economy and now you're trying to put lots more money into it that is totally incongruent you have a central bank going in one direction and a government going in another in another direction but there is a workaround i think that situation because political parties could go to the election and campaign on tax cuts but not implement them for a few years they could say we're going to give you these tax cuts but they're not going to take effect until 2025 2026 by which point hopefully we've come through this inflationary period and hopefully our books are in in better shape i wouldn't be surprised if any tax cut promises take effect further into the future that's it for today i'm sharon brett kelly the detail is public interest journalism funded through new zealand on air and produced by newsroom for rnz you can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform today's episode was engineered by rangi poick and produced by sarah robson and mark jennings and thanks to terry boucher and janae tibshraney Ah, te wa.